This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. There's a scripture I want to uh, look at. First of all, Matthew 24. Uh, we were here this morning, and I do not want to read all of that which we read this morning, but just a just a couple of verses. Matthew 24, reading from verse 3. And then if you want to turn to Luke chapter 21. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of of sorrows. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then Luke 21. Again, Jesus talking about end times and various signs. Luke 21, 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity means they can't see a way out. The sea and the waves roaring, men's heart feeling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. <clears throat> then when they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, now when you see these things begin to happen, Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Oh, These are the words of the Master. They're sobering words, aren't they? Words that make you stop and think a little of what is happening. On Friday, March the 11th, 2011, we were watching news on television and we could not hardly believe what our eyes were seeing. Absolute, utter devastation. Never had seen anything like it. In Japan on that morning, people got up as usual, had their breakfast, sent their children out to school, went to their work or perhaps stayed at home went about their daily business, never imagining for one moment that before that day was out, that over 20,000 of those people would not come back. Their lives would be lost. Because away out at sea, off the coast of Japan, something catastrophic was about to take place. The whole Earth's crusts are huge tectonic plates. Uh, anything between 5 and 30 miles deep, 
thousands of miles long and wide, and there's about maybe 12 of them all resting on molten rock that's fluid. So obviously they're moving. Not very much, maybe one or two inches a year for the most part. But because of the sheer volume, whenever they do touch and press and jostle against each other, the energy is immense beyond our imagination. And two such plates, the Pacific plate, the Eurasian plate, way off the coast of Japan, had been moving and touching, pressing against each other, and something was going to have to give. And it did give. On that day, about quarter to three, the Pacific plate fell about 20 feet underneath the Eurasian plate, and suddenly a great wall of water, a tsunami. A tsunami in Japanese means harbor wave. And suddenly this mass, this huge mass, this great tidal wave rose up and began to speed across the ocean at 500 miles an hour. And the closer it would get to land mass, like Japan, then the seabed would be, uh, it wouldn't be so deep and it would lose its velocity. But what it lost in velocity as it got close to land, it gained in height and power. And by the time it hit the coast of Japan, it was traveling about 50, 60 miles an hour, and the tidal wave was taller than this building that you're in. And there was billions of tons of seawater was just crashing for hundreds of miles up the coast of Japan, wiping everything in its path out. Factories, hospitals, cafes, businesses, schools, everything was destroyed in its path. Ships in the port, lorries, even planes were finding miles inland it didn't dissipate until it was several kilometers inland. Such was the power of that thing that that day thousands and thousands of lives were snuffed out. And there was not a thing anybody could do about it. Nobody knew it was coming. All the experts, nobody foresaw this, didn't know it was going to happen. Taken completely by surprise. And suddenly, many, many lives were lost. And man was shaken out of his complacency, a complacency that says that science and technology is God, that we are in control of everything. We don't need God. We can handle everything, but nothing that man ever devised was able to stop that. In one second, enough power was released, more than 1,000 atom bombs, 7,000 trillion, the equivalent of 7,000 trillion tons of TNT in one second was released. And nothing on earth man could do could stop that. Jesus said there would be signs even in the heavens, never mind on the earth. 
And so we are seeing, and this is agreed scientifically, we're seeing tremendous increase in earthquakes, tsunamis, typhoons, cyclones, Increasing in number, increasing in intensity, increasing in magnitude. The Boxing Day tsunami in 2004, a quarter of a million people lost their lives. A million people were displaced. The great storm, bit typhoon that hit Haiti, there was 300,000 people lost their lives. And on and on you can go. And Jesus warned these, the sea and the waves roaring and they say there's a noise, a roar that comes with this. And I think that Jesus, Son of God, looked far into the future and could see these events taking place. These will increase. And yes, technology now, we have things to help us to hopefully to see if these things are happening and, and, and try to preempt, can't stop them, but try to at least cause people to evacuate quicker. But you can't stop it. It's nothing can stop it. And Jesus said that there would be signs in the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The last time God judged the world, it was by water. This time it will be by fire. And Peter's talking about it here. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a nuclear physicist. But if a nuclear physicist read that, he would be thinking that sounds mighty like some kind of nuclear reaction. And Peter says that God has got it stored up, ready to be unleashed to an unsuspecting world that has been pleading with for centuries for generations, for millennia. The Apostle John, in writing in Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 to 10, the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. That's obviously not talking about a literal star because stars are huge. I mean, you could put over a million Earths into our star. So if that fell on the Earth, I mean, it would be vaporized, wouldn't it? So what's it talking about? Uh, it has to be talking about either a comet or a, a meteorite or an asteroid, something huge, like a burning torch coming out. You know, I was preaching on Friday night in, in a place called Seskinor, which is just close to Oma. And, and I remember two or three years ago preaching, it was a Friday night, and I was coming home, and you know my interest in astronomy. It was a lovely, lovely clear sky night, and I saw Jupiter in the distance, and I was watching it. 
And then I saw, it looked like a star underneath Jupiter, and I thought, no, there's no star underneath Jupiter in that part of the sky. That can't be a star. And then it started to move. I thought, it's moving, what's that? I thought, this must be a helicopter in the distance. And then suddenly there's another one, and another one, another one, and there's about 15 of them. And they were all moving. I thought, it can't be helicopters at this time of night. The army wouldn't be out. What would they be doing here? And I pulled into the side of the road, jumped out of the car, and by the time I did that, they were going right over my head. And it was what's called fireballs, meteorites, big ones on fire, come through Earth's atmosphere, racing overhead. That would make the hair stand on your head, the back of your neck. That was such a sight. I've never, I've seen fireballs, but I've never seen something as big as that, and as many of them at the one time, just flashing through the sky. What's it going to be like when an asteroid or a huge meteorite actually does crash upon the Earth? Over the years, there's been some big ones has hit the Earth. And increasingly, we're seeing more of them coming, and people with their dash cams in their car picking them up in the sky. And the whole sky lights up, and often they burst before they hit the land. John seeing something like a great star fall from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water, and the name of the star was Wormwood, which means bitter. And a third of the waters became Wormwood or bitter, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. And so Jesus said there would be signs. It's really is a good time to be an astronomer, you know. A good time to be looking up, because there's going to be signs. There's going to be strange things that's going to happen to the sun and to the moon and to the stars. It's going to absolutely astound and bamboozle scientists and astronauts. It's going to bamboozle them. They'll not understand what is happening. Jesus and Peter and John foretold these things. Now, during times of natural disasters, wars, diseases, famines, pestilences, people ask the question, where is God? Why does God allow that? Why doesn't he stop that? And whether it's on a national scale or, or even a global scale, or whether it's a personal thing, or it's something that happens to us individually that we can't understand why did that happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Why did he not stop that? These are questions that, that thinking people ask. And so, as Christians, especially, uh, we're the first to get hit with this. But where was God in all that? You know, your God you talk about, you say he's a good God, he's a compassionate God, he's a merciful God, he's a powerful God, he's a great God. Well, if he is all of that, why did that happen? Or why did he not prevent that? Or how come he allowed all those thousands or maybe millions of people over the years to die, innocent people. Those schools, those hospitals, those people going about their daily work were just snuffed out. Why did God allow that? These are questions that we get hit with. Do we have an answer? Can we answer those questions? 
I think to some degree we can. We don't have all of the answers, but I think we have a good part of the answer. Well, I think it comes in two ways. First of all, this is not the world that God intended it to be. It's not the world that it will become in the future. Pain and sickness and disease and hurt. You can't find it in the first two chapters of Genesis. It's not there. Pain, sickness, disease, hurt. You can't find it in the last two chapters in Revelation. It's not there. But from Genesis 3, where the devil and sin is introduced. And Revelation 20, where the devil and sin is finally completely done away with. The only place you'll find sickness and disease and hurt and pain and sorrow is in between those two places. So this world is not what God intended. God intended to be a paradise. He made it an Eden for man to enjoy but man lost it. That paradise was lost. But through what Christ has done at Calvary and through what he will yet do in the future, that paradise will be found again. Amen. So before we start blaming God, we need to say, well, hold on one moment. This is not what God intended. But because of Satan and sin, because man submitted himself to that, these are the consequences. The unfairness, the injustice, the hurt, the pain, the disease, the death, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, all of this is all the result of sin. Paul said in Romans 8 that the whole earth is groaning, it's creaking, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth is waiting to be redeemed by God. And Peter says, one day it will be burned up and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. So God hasn't finished with it. And so we need to be careful when we start to blame God. But then somebody may say, well, if all of that is true, I'm going to accept that it is true, why doesn't then God just step in and stop it? Why let it continue on and on? Why does he just not stop it? But then there's something called man's free will. And that's what he gave to Adam and Eve and every human being ever since. You see, people say, well, here's what people say. We, we don't want God in our government. Remember Tony Blair's spin doctor a few years ago says we don't do God? We don't want God in our government. We don't, we don't want prayer anymore in, in, in seat of government. We don't even want prayer now anymore in our council chambers. There's people who wants to stop that. Uh, we, don't want, we, we don't want God in our schools. We don't want God in our, in our businesses. We don't want God in our morality. Uh, we don't want God in our homes. We don't want God in our children's lives, is what people say. We don't want God. Now, isn't it interesting, the people who say that, 
when the first thing goes wrong, they blame God. We don't want God, but when something goes wrong, why did God allow that? Well, hold on a minute. <laughs> you didn't want God. I remember years ago, I, I buried a, a gentleman, many years ago. And his family told me afterwards, his wife was so angry at God. And I says, hold on a moment, but I already knew, because you already told me this, that, and I didn't say this to the man's wife, this was his family talking to me, because I'm careful what I say. I said, but you told me that your father would not enter a church door. Didn't want to be any way involved with God or church or the Bible or anything. And neither did your dear mother. But now that your father has died, suddenly your mother's angry with God. Why? He wanted nothing to do with God, so why would you be angry with him? But that's how the world thinks. And so, if you say, well, well, God should stop it. Well, which part should he stop? Which sin should he deal with first? And I've said to you before, well, if you ask somebody that, they'll say murder. Well, that would be good. Terrorism. That would be great. Child molestation. Wonderful. But what about abortion? What about pornography? Hmm? What about theft and lying and greed and jealousy and pride? What about all the laws that we break that are God's? Do you want God to start with us first? Huh? Do you like God to judge us first? I don't think so. What about your free will? Would you like God to remove that from you? I don't think so. You see, we blame God on just about everything when something goes wrong. And we forget oftentimes it's because we live in a broken, sinful, cursed world that sin and Satan caused. Plus, we have our own will and we continually flout God's laws. I'm not even talking about God's spiritual laws. I'm talking about the laws God put in nature. The very laws of nature we flout and we pollute our seas and we pollute our atmosphere and we do all of these things and we wonder why the world's in the state that it's in today. <sighs> Much of these world's problems have been brought about by man's own sinful state. You know, people say today, well, you know, and I've seen this so often, read it and heard people say, well, you see, if you could just do away with religion. John Lennon, imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell. If you just do away religion, look at the many people religion has killed. Religion's killed millions. Well, hold a minute here. What about communism? Has communism not killed millions? I think so. Untold millions. See, we need to be careful whenever we judge God. Because then God may judge us, and we don't want that. And so man doesn't want to deal with their personal sins, but they want God to deal with others who sin against us. <laughs> we'll deal with his sin, deal with her sin, but don't deal with mine. 
No, no. Anne Graham Lotz, who's Billy Graham's, late Billy Graham's daughter, after 9-11, and there was a lot of questions being asked, well, well, why did God allow this? All those two or three thousand innocent people lost their lives. And she was on a, a show called The Early Show, and Jane Clayson was the interviewer. And Jane Clayson said to her, how would God let something like this happen? And Anne Graham gave an extremely profound and insightful response. She said, I believe God is deeply saddened by this, just as we are. But for years we've been telling God to get out of her schools, get out of her government, get out of her lives. And being the gentleman that he is, I believe he has calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we demand he leave us alone? In the light of recent events, terrorist attacks, school shootings, etc., I think it started, she said, when Madeleine Murray O'Hare, Madeleine Murray O'Hare was an Irish-American who was an atheist, just one little woman, and she campaigned and campaigned and campaigned until she got prayer stopped in every school in America. One little woman. By the way, she was found murdered uh, at one point, and by the way, her son became a believer. How ironic is that? And she complained that she didn't want prayer in her schools, and we said, okay. Then someone said, you better not read the Bible in school. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, love your neighbor as yourself. And we said, okay. Then Dr. Benjamin Spock said we shouldn't spank our children when they misbehave because their little personalities would be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. Dr. Spock's son committed suicide, by the way. So we said an expert should know what he's talking about, and we said, okay. Now we're asking ourselves why our children have no conscience, why they don't know right from wrong, why it doesn't bother them to kill strangers, their classmates, or themselves. Probably if we think about it long and hard enough, we can figure it out. I think it was a great deal to do with we reap what we sow. Hmm. And so... Jesus says, in the last days, we would see signs that is pointing to his soon return. And we're actually, literally, seeing those signs happening on our television screens and in our daily newspaper. And most Christians are asleep at the wheel, sadly. Do you know there's people just couldn't be bothered to come here tonight to hear this? Couldn't be bothered. The Lord's about to come and the signs is all around and they couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Asleep at the wheel. Tragic. And so things are happening. Taking place all around us. You're going to see more of it. We talked much this morning about stuff that's happening in the world, not disasters that we're talking about tonight, but other things. And all of it is pointing to this one thing, that Christ is coming back soon, and we need to be ready for his coming. Don't want to be like that parable of those virgins who had no oil in their lamps when the bridegroom came. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We want to understand God's word. Amen. We want to be ready.
we're very blessed in this country, very blessed that we can even come here tonight. Other parts of the world, it would cost your life. I would be locked up, beaten, maybe killed for daring to share God's word. And that's only an airplane right away. That's just the other side of the world. It's happening in China. It's happening in India, Indonesia, North Korea, different parts of the world. And Jesus said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. <laughs> and boy, that's true. Christi Christians and Jews, by the way, but Christians, the most persecuted people in the face of the earth. And it's increasing. Increasing. And so we are living in the last of the last days. Now you may think I'm some kind of a crackpot Bible basher just trying to scare you. But I urge you to check out the Bible yourself. See the words of Jesus. I just read some of them tonight. Read them again and again until it gets into your heart and your head. This is the Son of God speaking. And this means exactly what he's saying. On the other hand, you may say, well, David, I believe what you're saying is true. I can see those signs myself. Maybe didn't know they were signs, but now I can see them and they're happening. And it kind of scares me. Believers shouldn't be scared, by the way. Jesus didn't write these things to scare us, but to warn us. Hmm. But you may say, well, it scares me. Because I'm not ready to meet him if he comes. I'm just not ready to meet him. But you could be ready to meet him. And if he came and you're ready, you'll go with him. That's his promise. So how do you become ready? Jesus said in John 3, 7, you must be born again. Hallelujah. You come into this world, you came through a natural birth. But to go into the next world, you need a spiritual birth. You have to be born again, spiritually. Born from above, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. And when you're born again of God's Spirit, you become a son and a daughter of God. You become a follower of the Son, Jesus Christ. And all of us, Paul says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so we have to repent. We have to have a change of mind and a change of heart and a change of direction in our life. That's what it means to be born again. And we can't do that ourselves. It's a work of God's Holy Spirit. But if we submit ourselves, if we say, God, please save my eternal soul. I want to follow Christ. The Holy Spirit will do it. And our lives will be changed forever. 
And so tonight, I'm going to pray a prayer because this is being recorded. So somebody may be listening at home and hear this. And I would love them or I would love you, if that's the case, to pray this prayer with me tonight. A prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. To know that you're ready for him when he comes because he'll come in an hour when you think not. That's what he says, like a thief in the night. Suddenly he'll come. So we'll need to be ready. So I'm going to pray, and if you want to pray this with me, just where you are, seated. Pray this prayer. And mean it from your heart. And say, Lord, I want to, I want to turn away from my current lifestyle. I want to know you personally as Lord and Savior in my life. So many of us did that and found he changed us from the inside out. Lord God, I come before you right now and I thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who went to that cross at Calvary and gave his life for me. He shed his innocent blood that my guilty blood may be cleansed. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the Savior of the world. Tonight would you be my Savior. Right now would you come into my life and eternally change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me this life that you promised. Put my name in your book of life tonight and save my eternal soul. And I will give you praise and honor all the days of my life. And I thank you for so great salvation and the gift of life that you have imparted in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.